Hello and welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. It's more of a casual conversation where we chat with some of our pals and industry friends. Today we've got back on script guru, screenwriting coach uh, who has lectured at UCLA, Columbia College. Everyone loves her. She's Lee Jessup. How's it going, Lee? It is going great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's always great to chat with you. It's always great to have you back on. You've got so much great information. Uh, and as I mentioned, everyone loves you, so myself included. So it's great to have you back on. Great to be back. Um, and I've, you know, big news. Big news. You've got a new book out, uh, just released. <laughs> it's called uh, Breaking In, Tales from the Screenwriting Trenches. Um, and so why don't we chat about it? Cause, uh, you know, you've got interviews and information from dozens and dozens of industry pros, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, we were talking a little bit before we, we, uh, started the podcast, um, about the book and you described it as sort of a, a three layer cake. What do you mean by that? What is this book about? And, and, uh, you know, what kind of stuff can we glean from this book? And what is this three-layer cake I speak of? Right, right, right. right. I'm sure it's not something we can <laughs> we can uh, ingest, although it's something we can digest, I suppose. I don't know. Anyway, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. What is this three-layer cake? Um, the three-layer cake is, was really the approach to this book. So this book came to really examine how are writers breaking into this industry following the 2008 strike. And by breaking in, I don't mean become an overnight success sure. or have a flash in the pan moment, but really become working writers. Um, who are now part of the machine in some way. Um, and so I approached it, as I said, as a three-layer cake. So the bottom layer of this cake is going to be the, the foundation for this book, which is what I call my screenwriter spotlights. Those are interviews with 16 working writers, um, film, television, new media, um, who broke in following 2008, really talking about what was their journey, what did they learn. And we're looking at different things here. So we're talking to people who went through the fellowships like Greta Heinemann that I know you've had on the podcast yeah, before. Um, Greta's amazing. Mm -hmm. Talking to Eric Koenig, who was top 25 in the tracking board contest and went on to sell a feature script. Um, Alyssa Hilfers, who just sold her second script um, a couple of months ago. So what's it like selling a spec? What's it like selling television pilots? working in rooms, staffing in rooms, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the bottom layer. Then the second layer of the book is my industry insights. I've talked to over 20 resources, so agents, managers, executives, about what it takes, what the industry is looking for, what their experience informs them um, is required for writers to really make the leap. So we talked about everything from the state of the industry today to the importance of contests to what do you get paid when you staff on television. I mean, it really runs the gamut. Um, and then finally, the you know the fluffy top layer um, would be me, my insights and experience from working in this industry and working specifically on the forefront of breaking in new writers for a very long time now. Um, so hopefully with, with all of that, it helps the reader really kind of get an understanding of how it works, how it happens. Right. Now, let's break down the uh, three-layer cake, if we could, just a little bit. Um, Please. The first layer being the screenwriting spotlight. Um, maybe you can just give us a little bit of uh, a taste. What are, again, now there were, you, you listed off a number of different writers from a number of different uh who have who have broken in in a different mm -hmm. areas whether it's film whether it's television and i'm sure there's uh digital new media stuff of course uh, so and every story i'm sure is slightly different because every mm -hmm. medium is different and the way you sort of break in approach it is is different um but what are some of the the universal underlying themes or things that they seem to have in common uh that they have all brought to the table, other than obviously great material, um, to sort of break in? Is there anything that sort of unifies them together, even though, again, their mediums are very different and the paths to get there are very different? Well, I think the big thing, the big message is that it's never an accident. You may not know what is the path to breaking in. It may happen in a different way than you anticipated. So, for example, I talked to Aaron Cardillo, um, who wrote Significant Mother and went on to work on Fuller House. 
um, you know, she, her first script that went into the industry in 2009 was a feature script. So in her mind, her pathing was initially going into features. However, she ended up breaking in television first. And then only in 2000 and I think it was 2015, getting her first uh, television writing, or not television, feature writing assignment. So you never know which way it's going to go. Uh, you never have a guarantee of, like, this is the path. Go do fellowships, and you'll get in through fellowships. Or go get a job as an assistant, and that will be it. Or go write the big spec. You don't have a, a guarantee for what it will be, but what is consistent among everybody who broke here is that it wasn't an accident. Everybody worked really hard. Everybody put time, energy, resources, thought, planning, strategy, two words, breaking in. Everybody was resourceful in their own way, so different people, different resources, but all of them utilized it to ultimately get to a place where they have the break that they're looking for. So the unifying things to me were hard work, dedication, consistency. Um, you know, these are people that sometimes it happened faster than others, so within two or three years there's a job. There are others where there's six or seven or eight years before you get on the hit list or on the blacklist. Um, neither one is right or wrong, but the unifying thing is that they've all worked hard and they were all relentless. Mm -hmm. Now, did you notice any sort of, I don't want to say difference, between those that broke in, had their break of a paid assignment or a huge breakthrough within two years versus 10 years? Was there anything specific that they did differently that you think that you had seen? Or was it just something that, again, luck comes around? Obviously, preparation is, needs to be there. But, you know, some people just have a path that fortune shines on sooner than others. Or was there anything exactly. specific? No, you know, sadly, sadly or, or not, it's the reality of it. That when you see people at that level, it's not a matter of they did X. It's, you know, 80% writing, or I'm sorry, 40% writing, 40% business, 20% luck. And that luck dictates whether it's going to be two or three years or six or seven or eight or 10 or more. Um, but, you know, if there was something that one could learn from the other saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing X and this person's doing Y, I'm sure they would have figured it out. But these are all writers who are moving forward by all accounts, just different times, different clip. And oftentimes that has to do with circumstance that are, that's beyond your control. Right, right. Um, now, is there, what is the most interesting of the people that you had interviewed for the book, or just in general, what are the most interesting um, ways or s that somebody has broken in? I'm not talking about like, hiding underneath someone's car, you know, a producer, <laughs> nothing like that. I just mean like their story of, of how they made it, not individually like that one moment, but just in general there from deciding to be a writer to becoming uh, a professional screenwriter, TV writer, whatever, who, someone who had an interesting path. Is there anybody in particular that stands out as that was different and unique and kind of interesting and cool? Well, the interesting thing that I found is that I actually have two past litigators. One was a federal prosecutor. One oh. was a litigator who then went on to write features, sell features, and be very successful. One, as I said, was a federal prosecutor. Um, so brings all of these really dark, twisted, um, really messed up stories. Um, and, you know, then effectively after succeeding in that, decided to rededicate herself to writing, um, so to me that was just, I was exhausted just thinking about going down one path and then to another. Um, you know, I think my favorite breaking in story, if I had to pick one, um, is probably um, a story by, from this guy, Moises Zamora, um, who's a really, really talented writer who broke into television this past year. Um, in 2016, he got his first gig on American crime. And here's a guy who didn't go down any of the standard paths to television, right? He didn't go through fellowships. He didn't get an assistant job. Um, he didn't even have a friend of the agency, right? He just was super thoughtful about networking and how he did it. And, you know, met a guy on a panel um, who was another Latino writer 
but didn't want to bug the guy for, to read him. Six months later, found out that the guy, Davy Perez, um, was teaching a class, so decided to go participate in the class because that way he wouldn't ask, have to ask for a favor for Davy to read him. Davy read him. They continued to just respond to each other on a personal level as friends, and Davy ended up recommending him to American Crime because they were planning a season that had to do with some of Moises's personal backstory. Um, I love this story because it's so thoughtful and it's so specific. And Moises is somebody that I've known for a long time. And I actually challenged him at quite a few steps of the way. Wait, why are you paying for this class? Wait, why, why are you doing this? And he was just very thoughtful and very strategic. Um, and he really proved that, yeah, you can't guarantee that any will break in any particular way, but that if you're thoughtful and strategic, you can find creative, innovative ways and, and excite new people so much so that they help you pave your, your path. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Now, you've just mentioned two cases where people had previous careers, specifically as attorneys, but people mm -hmm. who had previous careers and uh, you know um, a lot of different reps. Um, you come highly recommended by a number of them, uh, as I've mentioned in the past on our podcasts. Um, do you, does because we get asked this quite a bit, does it behoove writers who have had previous experience in something, whether they were uh, a lawyer, a firefighter, a police officer, an astronaut, whatever it happens to be, does it behoove writers to include that in their query if it is applicable to their story or even if it's not applicable to whatever they're querying about, whatever their script is? I think it really depends about whether it informs either what they write or if they bring interesting and different experience to the table. So I mentioned Eric Koenig before who um, sold Matriarch to Paramount in, I believe it was late 2014. Um, Eric was a dentist before he was a screenwriter. Mm. Um, he was a military dentist, um, an army dentist, and you know ultimately wrote on the weekends. I don't think that Eric's dentistry experience necessarily informs his writing, um, and I don't know that there's definitely, certainly a, a dentist script out there that's waiting for him. So I don't know that that is the experience <laughs> to bring to the forefront. Right. But I've certainly, you know heard about people who were ambulance chasers who, you know, would bring that experience to a meeting and speak about it and get people excited um, and get that personal story. And I think it's much more relevant um, if, for example, you were a criminal prosecutor um, and you are writing a thriller. One ties into another. I also think it's more significant if you are going out for television shows and then it really is all about the personal. It really is all about what do you bring into the room on a personal level. Um, so I think it really just depends on the scenario in which you're pitching either yourself or your work. Mm -hmm. um, and f uh, we've talked about it, and I know in your book you have multiple cases of uh, screenwriters, TV writers uh, breaking in. Um, mm -hmm. what for our listeners out there who may not be a hundred percent sure whether they want to focus on screenwriting or whether they want to focus on TV writing, because, you know, nowadays they're sort of, they're much more, uh, convergent than they used to be in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you, uh, what advice do you have for those people who you know, would they were like, I'd be happy to work in either. I have a pilot, I have a feature. What should I do? I think you really have to figure out what you are first. So are you a TV writer first? Or are you a feature writer first? There is nothing wrong with being a TV writer with a really great feature script as well. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to know what you are primarily, especially when you are seeking to break in. Later on, you can vacillate a lot more. But I think initially, they're just people want to have an understanding of what are you. The more you are, the harder it is for them to define. So, you know, it goes all the way back to branding. I was talking to a writer of mine some months ago, and, you know, he was writing a one-hour drama and then a half-hour comedy and then a dramedy. And then there was, you know, a feature thriller. And I kind of went, you're killing me. Like, pick one. 
And he lamented, you know, why do I have to pick one? Why can't right. I just be a writer? Um, and I understand that argument completely. You want to try your hand and have some freedom in that. But this is also an industry where you are going to be in great competition with other people, where agents get calls about not who is your best writer, but who is your best writer, um, you know, for action, action adventure with a heart. You're going to think about who's my best writer for action adventure with a heart, not who's my thriller writer who can possibly potentially also do that. So you have to understand what you want to be sold as, what you want to be presented as, and then, you know, effectively grow from there. Again, nothing wrong with vacillating. I think it's just about saying, like, I really want to break into TV. I really want to break into film as opposed to I really want to do anything anybody would let me do. Um, One, two, three, go. Right, right. Um, And also... It goes to uh, if you they Hollywood is looking for a great something, whether you're a great mm-hmm. horror thriller writer, not, oh, this writer can do a lot of different things pretty well. Yeah. You want to be great. Because I remember uh, being in Vegas. This was years and years and years ago. It's not there anymore. But I remember seeing it and it just it still stuck out in my head because it's so unique. It was a Chinese restaurant that also had French food that sold donuts and was a hat shop. I'm not even joking. And I'm like, they could be amazing at any one of those things, but somehow I doubt it. They're probably really bad at all four because you can't do all that and be really, really good at everything. So needless to say, we didn't eat there or buy any hats there. It's jack of all trades, master of none. And if you go back to the idea that this industry and success in this industry is going to require greatness. Right. If you try too many different things, you're not going to allow yourself to become great at any one thing. Listen, right. the more you write, the better you get. The more you can play and try different things on. And, you know, certainly 10 years into your career, you're going to be more adapted writing different things, different styles, because you will have had simply more writing hours under your belt. So if we're looking at 10,000 hours to mastery, right? how do you get to those 10,000 hours? How do you build that um and how do you build it in one and then develop to the next it really is about greatness like you said it takes that great piece of material i don't believe that a comedy writer is going to be just as adept writing thrillers i've known those writers and oftentimes i find that yeah they think they're just good as good in both but usually they're better in one or the other 20 or 30 years in okay maybe let's have that conversation maybe even 10 years in, but especially earlier on in your career, you want to pick your lane, you want to stick in it, and you want to really develop yourself so that you really hone in on the structure, on your tone, on your voice, on your characters, on your world, whether it's in film or in television. Right. It's not there anymore, but something else sticks out of my head. Do you remember on La Brea Ave, there used to be this uh, hair salon that was also a talent agency. It was like this, I don't remember what it was called, such and such talent agent, or hair salon and talent agency. Again, there... Of course there was. Yeah, there could have been, they could have been really good at both, but somehow I doubt it. Um, Yeah, no. (laughs) Listen, it's it's the same thing on the flip side, like when I have writers who are meeting with reps for the first time. Like, do they want to be repped by the guy who reps, you know, great writers across the board and all types of writers? Or do you want to be repped by the, by the agent who also reps actors and does some musicians and talks and, to directors? And party and clowns and DJs. People. Like, yeah. yeah. It's pretty simple. I think, I think it all, at the end of the day, I mean, like we can talk about whether it's frustrating or not frustrating and how people are boxed in, but I think all of it actually speaks to base human in- instinct. Right. Um, next, uh, you, speaking of agents, uh, you had talked to a lot of agents for your book, I know, um, and I know I did. A, a number of them and reps and managers. And um, What are some of the things that they maybe passed on to you that you put in your book that you could pass on now of things that writers do that they shouldn't be doing or that they are not doing that they should be doing? Across the board, I hear that with writers a lot, it's about exposing their work too soon. Mm -hmm. So sending material before it's ready. Right. That's something that I definitely hear about a lot. Um, You know, not, not being professional, not staying on top of who they should be talking to. So 
if you want me to, I can read you a direct quote from Adam Perry over at APA. Yes, please. Um, I like Adam. He said, I think a lot of people will come right out of film school, get one good script and get an agent, get a manager, get an entertainment lawyer and sell it. And then they ease up a little. They say, I've got a manager, I've got an agent. They're going to do everything for me. Without material, we can't do anything. We can't put you in a ton of rooms. And the other thing is ideas. People who don't have a lot of original ideas, and they're just kind of asleep at the wheel and say, oh, people are just going to bring me on to stuff. No, you have to generate. So I would say self-generating is the thing that a lot of new writers lack, and the mistake is having one good sale or one good success and then resting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's directly from an agent. Adam, right. Um, now, uh, how, I guess, jumping back one quick step, although uh, mm-hmm. there's another question that came up with what you were asking. Um, how do writers know their material is ready? You know, their parents have read it. They say it's fantastic. Their friends have read it. It's fantastic. How does a writer know? They read it. They think, oh, it's great. My idea is great. I, I think it's really fantastic. I spend so many hours on it. How do they know? It's really, Listen, it's I, I think there's, you know, there's basic instinct um, as far as storytelling sense. But I think the next question is really, who are those friends? Who are those parents? So I talked to a writer recently who was like, oh, yeah, my parents, my friends love it. Well, who are your friends? Are they industry people? Do they work in three-act structure? Do they understand? Yeah, they can innately understand some of it. But are they processing story day in, day out? And very quickly, we found that, no, not one of them is. So... You know, the good news is that with the Internet, you can connect with tons of people who are in this industry. So I'm not saying you have to pay for notes. If you don't have anybody who can read you, who's educated, who knows the industry, who works in the industry. So I'm not talking about a gaffer or a wardrobe person, but somebody who is in the world of story. Sure. Um, you know, you want to find another writer or director, somebody who's a few steps ahead of you to read you. If you can't find those, then you can pay for notes. Or you can go to a screenwriting class, program, teacher, instructor, um, you know, somebody who specializes in story. I mean, I look back at myself, right? I started in this industry at a very, very young age, and when I was 17, almost everything that I read I thought was great or had potential because I hadn't read enough to really know the difference. You know, 50 scripts in, I thought one thing, and now, you know, 5,000 scripts in, I think very, very differently about that sort of material, about any material. Um, So I think it's really important to talk to people who are processing story and working within those structures and within the, that construct, whether it's film or television, a lot. You know, generally, if somebody says to me, it's my first script, I'm going to say, okay, stop right there. Because first right. script is usually a learning script. Second script is often a learning script. Jason Scoggins, who used to be an agent, who now runs Slated, who has um, Scoggins Report and Specscout, he says that when he was an agent, he would tell writers, like, if you're not five or six scripts in, like, don't bother talking to me. Right. You need to really develop your craft, and you develop your craft over those many, many hours of working. Right. Um, and speaking of three-act structure, knowing what you know, and mm-hmm. uh, for those writers out there, because, again, we get asked a lot, how important is it to strict stick to a three-act structure? Listen, I think that you can definitely break the rules. I don't think that you have to stick to the rules, but I think I do think you have to know the rules to break them. Right. Um, you know, you can look at very famous pieces of work and go, oh, well, it, it actually goes against the rules. So look at Forrest Gump, right? Mm-hmm. Basic example. The story's actually Jenny's story. She's the one with the arc. Gump stays the same Gump from beginning to end. He just has a lot of things that happen to him in his life and a lot of journeys. He makes a few decisions, but it's really, truly Jenny's story. Um, you could look at it that way and say rules were broken. Absolutely. But I think, you know, in order to effectively break the rules, it has to be a decision. I find that when it's an accident, it sometimes it can be great, but that's not always the case. But if you don't know what you did and what that decision was, um, I think that's going to just make it very, very difficult for you to repeat. So you really want to understand the structure um, before you make the decision to go against it. Right, right. Um, are there any other really important things that came out of your interviews with reps, agents, managers? Because a lot of our listeners are, that's a huge 
target for them. They, they're looking for representation. They're looking for that sort of entry into uh, the business, that first sort of step in. Uh, are there any specific things other than what you had mentioned with generating ideas from uh, Mr. Perry? Um, mm -hmm. Are there any, what else came about, came out in these conversations that you think is super valuable that might, might help some of these newer writers? There's really so much, but, you know, a lot of people talked about being a student of the game. So yeah. Lee Stobie specifically talked about, you know, when you come to meet agents, managers, executives, you are going to meet and talk to people who are consuming this kind of stuff 12 hours a day, if not 24 hours a day, but for a living. So you have to figure out how to match them knowledge-wise. So you have to always be reading scripts. You have to always be watching movies, watching television, reading industry news, knowing what's on the blacklist, understand how this machine works, so that when you arrive, people want to work with you because they are inspired by your knowledge. And maybe your knowledge can allow them for some discovery. So maybe you can share information about a movie that is really small and hasn't been widely seen, but would be right, right up an executive's alley. So, you know, that comes with really methodically and meticulously learning the industry and learning it on all fronts as opposed to just writing. Just writing is great and it's important, but if it's going to be 40% business, you have to understand the business. You have to understand who's who. You have to understand the reality. So, you know, I have had writers reach out to me saying, you know, I wrote this, th this thing. I think it's a perfect television movie for NBC or ABC or CBS. When's the last time that you saw NBC or ABC or CBS make a television movie? Right. This is not something that we currently do. Or... You know, I talked to somebody a few months ago who said, oh, I just wrote the script and, you know, I want to make some moves in my career this year. And I know I don't know anybody. I don't have an agent or manager, but my goal is to sell the script this year. So I had to take a step back and say, okay, how many scripts sold last year? Like, let's, let's have that conversation mm -hmm. to understand whether or not you know what the market is that you're trying to break. She's like, well, probably a few thousand. Yeah. Not anywhere near. Um, you know, we're still waiting on final numbers for 2016, but 2015 wasn't pretty and 2016 is going to be less pretty. Now, does that mean that you can't succeed in film? No, but you have to understand that the numbers imply that more writers in the film space are making money writing pages as opposed to selling specs. Right, right. You know, so you really have to have that understanding. If you're writing animation, you have to understand how that market works. And the fact that animation is rarely picked up from an, from outside talent. It's usually developed in-house, and writers are brought in to develop that material. Um, so it really is about understanding how this machine works, um, as opposed to just writing a script and going, oh, it's great. Now, of course, if you don't have the great script, all of this is moot. Right. Kind of a pointless conversation, so I'm not in any way belittling working on your craft and learning, um, you know, but really being a student of the game is so important because when people talk to you, they want to know they're talking to somebody that they don't have to educate at every step of the way. Right. And talking about um, being uh, knowledgeable about the industry, uh, read mm -hmm. the trades every day, read Deadline. Absolutely. Uh, everybody does. And you know, so you yes. know what scripts are selling. You know who's buying. You know that, oh, there's, you know, two scripts on, you know, uh, Henry VIII that just sold. Well, don't write a script on Henry VIII then or something. You mm -hmm. know, these kinds of things. Keep track of the industry and who's, especially if you're looking for a rep, see who's selling a bunch of stuff. See who's signing a bunch of blacklist, you know, writers. See, you know, these yeah. types of things can help you in your goal. And it all is all part of not just writing the script and then expecting people to find you or just shotgunning it out and, you know, expecting to be on the stage at the Oscars next year. Um, yeah. So I oh, have innate understanding, understanding. So yeah. what's the difference between the blacklist website and the blacklist list? Sure. Right. Because Absolutely. I've had people tell me, oh, I got an eight or a nine on the blacklist website. So now I'm going to be on the list. Right. You're right. No. Um, don't know where that came from, but no. So you, I mean, you have to understand it. And yeah, saying things like that to me or to anybody who kind of works with you privately is a safe space. Right. But I, I actually, I can try and educate you in the best way possible, but I'm not an instructor. Right. Right. I'm a career consultant. I'm a guide. I'm a guidance counselor, as Mark Manis aptly told you. Right. Um, 
you have to be responsible for your own education and look for people like me and then eventually a manager, an agent, an executive to bolster it, to support it, to help it grow. But you have to bring some of your own industry knowledge to the table. Right. And I noticed that you had specifically mentioned uh, the advice coming in this book applies to screenwriting and TV writing uh, after mm -hmm. 2008, which is, the, yep. you know, the, obviously the last Writers Guild strike. Um, yeah. For again, why does that? Why? What? What's? What's it? Is it about the difference between pre strike 2007 2008 strike and post 2007 2008 strike? What is the difference, and how does it affect writers who are breaking into the industry now? Well, it's a really interesting thing because <clears throat> when I would conduct these interviews, and I really, the joy of this book was getting to sit down with a lot of people that I knew and some people that I haven't met before and just interviewing them as opposed to having lunch, right, and having a conversation, really just sure. getting to ask all the questions I've ever wanted to ask. And the interesting thing is that everybody would say, you know, 2008, that's, that's the marker, that's the year where everything changed, but no, it's right. just as difficult as it's always been. But for me, you know, having to kind of take a step back and say, why are we talking about this year? Why are we talking about this moment? What happened in this moment in this kind of ill-timed and opportune strike where the writers won the battle, lost the war, was that that really was the death rattle of the very active spec market. Mm -hmm. um, that at that point, up until that point, we saw a lot of naked specs move, um, meaning specs that didn't have attachments on them. Right. Today, when we're seeing specs move, we do see still spec, specs move and, you know, live in that kind of auction environment where they go into market on a Tuesday and they can potentially, if there's a great deal of interest, um, you know, sell within a few days or a few weeks. Um, usually there's some attachments, so there's a change in that market. It's very difficult to move material without attachments, without elements on the script. At the same time, television blew up, right? Right. So that was... <laughs> the start of the rise of television, where we're now at 459 scripted shows for 2017 or 2016. We're waiting to see where we'll be at 2017. But this insane expansion um, in content happened. We lost a lot of our private funding um, for films. So a lot of our funds, a lot of our, our films funded by European film funds, all of those went away with a market collapse. Um, you know, Harry Potter changed the world and really reminded us that it's all about pre-existing IP. Mm -hmm. Studios at that point had been owned or had been owned by corporations all but one for often more than 10 years. And that um, kind of corporate strategy started to really take hold. And we saw the slate of summer movies and, and Oscar movies change for studios. So if you think about it, studios don't make Forrest Gump anymore. Right. right. I mean, we were not seeing those kind of movies, the kind of movies that came out of the studios 15, 20 years ago. They no longer come out of the studios. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're now funded independently, potentially picked up for distribution by the studios, but they're produced elsewhere. So studios really changed their mission. Um, you know, so a lot of things seem to culminate in that moment um, of television starting to rise, um, you know, is really feeling the effect of corporate ownership of studios, of the financial retraction, you know, before we got to a place where, you know, we're funded out of China and United Arab Emirates and Brett Ratner is, you know, kind of carrying the weight um, of film finance. Um, so things have changed and changed massively. The, you know, the good news is that I do feel that there is an ongoing hunger and now even more so for original content, because we are seeing that pre-existing IP is fallible. Um, so, sure. you know, I think that in a year where you have Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad and, and Alice Through the Looking Glass and on and on and on, not fair as well as everybody's hoped, you understand that there is, um, you know, some questionability to that business model and to the sustainability of that business model, whether it was, you know, successful some years ago, how successful it can be moving forward, how much can we repeat that particular business model. Um, it's not to say that it's dead entirely, but I think that it's definitely, you know, the blush is off the rose. 
Right. Um, in the sense that nobody thinks that those movies will just perform across the board. And we can, I mean, we can dig up 17,000 more adventures. But then, you know, a movie like Doctor Strange comes along and goes, oh, yeah, okay, superheroes still work. I think that's part of the fun of this industry, is that it's a dynamic and a live industry. So the information constantly shifts and changes. But that goes back to what you were saying, that you have to stay on top of what's happening, because it's happening all the time and you can't cram for it. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so there, there, is, there is a shift and a change. I mean, I think the rules that existed before 2008 for writers to write great, to work hard, to, you know, really allow the content to help them rise above the rest, all that has stayed the same. I don't think that's changed. But I think the definition of, of great has shifted. The competition has definitely shifted. Um, you know, the opportunity has shifted. So that's where we see those shifts. Right, right. And in pre-2008, there'd been, like you said, a lot more blind uh, specs selling, a lot more specs were selling. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I know a lot of writers were getting deals all over town that just after mm -hmm. 2008, they all just were let lapse and expired. It's so many fewer. Yeah, studio deals. deals ended for a lot of production yeah. companies as well. Yeah. We had a stretch there that you didn't see any new production deals right. for any any production companies. Um, you know, you didn't see as many specs move. You you didn't see specs from unknowns move in the same capacity at all. Right. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of shifts. Yeah. Um, now to the fluffy layer uh, of, of Lee Jessup. Um, I, I guess the, the most uh, poignant question, the most important question, the question we get mo asked most often is, how do I break into the business for somebody who has zero, you know, they have their uh, sparkle in their eye, a speck in their hand. They haven't sent out a 200 queries and gotten, you know, no response. But who, <laughs> what is your advice to a writer who wants to break into the industry? First of all, if you're not in L.A. and you can get to L.A., get to L.A. Sure. Um, you know, is it possible to do remotely? Yes, absolutely. If you have a wife and family and, you know, live in Wisconsin and everybody's situated, do you have to up and move? No, not necessarily. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a wife and I have two children and certainly no, we wouldn't be in a position to like up and go somewhere. But I think that if you are truly eager and interested and able, first thing to do is to get to L.A., um, because while it's possible to break in remotely, and Melissa London Hilfers is a proof of that, and she's now had two big spec sales on her hands. Um, and where you know, does she she's live? Still in New York. New York. She's in New York, mm -hmm. um, and always has been in New York, and not coming to LA. And she's absolute proof. Um, but she's also writing features, right? So she's not writing for television. If you want to write for television, you got to get your butt to LA. It's just not going to happen otherwise, right. um, or the likelihood of it is, is so incredibly low. Um, that it's almost laughable. Mm -hmm. um, features, you have more of an ability to break in remotely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're in L.A., it's all about networking and getting to know people so that once you have that shiny, sparkly, beautiful piece of writing, you have people who actually want to read it, right? right? So you have to get to know people. You have to get out there. You have to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, people hate the word networking. I understand whether it's, you know, you look at it as connection building or whatever it is, you got to get to know people. Um, you got to get to know people in your class of writers. You have to get get to know people um, who are the buyers or can potentially get you to the buyers. So agents, managers, executives, et cetera, et cetera. The good news in LA is that there are panels all over town. There are classes all over town. Now we have things like thir Stage 32 and Roadmap Writers that can put writers right in front of the people who can help them out. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in making sure that you build your pedigree first. So if you don't know anybody and you don't have, you know, any reason to get to anybody's top of the pile, then you create pedigree, right? So you look at contests and you look at the blacklist website and you look at those things that can easily help you stand apart and say, okay, here's why you should look at me. 
Not right. I think you should look at me because I'm a good writer and I have nobody else saying that, but I'm telling you that because I'm conscientious and, and I'm smart and I'm thoughtful. <laughs> Everybody thinks that they're smart and they're thoughtful. And, and I'm actually not joking because people have said this to me. When I said, <laughs> why should manager X read your script? Well, because I'm smart and I'm conscientious and, and I'm into social justice. Yeah, I'm really freaking happy for you, but... Yeah. Why would you know, what is the reason? And that's where pedigree comes in, and that's contest placements and blacklists and things like that. Um, pedigree, I like that know, term. That, it's you know, it's fairly simple. I think everybody gets it. Yeah, no. Um, you know, and then it's about getting the material out there and not being so frightened of rejection because if you're not getting rejected, you're not doing your job. Ultimately, you want to know that you get you did the, your best work. And if you vetted your script, right, if you had enough people read it and look at it and say, you know, yep, it's there, and people that you respect who are further from you or further ahead than you, um, you know, whether they're consultants or writers who are working who thought this was fantastic or executives, um, you know, you need to get the work out there once you know that those people are ready to sign off. So when my writers are ready to take a script out, my question to them is always, are you ready to be rejected on the merit of the script? And what that question is to me is, if you get a rejection, which I'm certain you will at some point, mm-hmm. are you okay getting rejected for what you have on the page? And that rejection implies that that person didn't get it, it didn't land well with them, it didn't fit within their taste level, they're looking for something different. All of those are fair answers, and you're going to find them often. But is what you put on the page holding enough integrity for you that you're not going to get two rejections and go, oh, damn it, let me go rewrite the script from page one. Right. Because that's not not a script that you're ready to be rejected on. Hmm. That's a script that you're actually quite insecure about. And, you know, Jewel Ross, I believe you've had him on the podcast. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. One of the things that I love about him is that he and I are old friends, go back a million years. Um, but I've asked him once, what do you do if you send out a script and you get 100 no's? His answer was, I find the next 100 people to send it to. Right. And I think that if you want a manager to have that kind of faith in you, then you have to have that kind of faith in the work. And, it, and the only way to have that faith in the work, I don't think it's blind faith. I think it's to put in the work and to vet it enough so that you know that you did what you intended and somebody somewhere received it as it was intended, and therefore somebody else will too. Right, right, absolutely. Um, you had mentioned a, a, a writer who broken from New York. Uh, for mm-hmm. those people on the East Coast who may not be in New York, is... Does it matter if you're in New York versus, say, Pennsylvania? Obviously, being in L.A., there's many more opportunities to make contacts. Uh, There's probably more opportunities in New York than, say, you know, Boston. But does it really make a difference? Like if somebody's in Boston but can't get to L.A. or they're in New Hampshire but can't get to L.A., is New York a good second option or is that just... Um, I wouldn't move point. to New York from Boston to break in. I mean, I think if you're doing independent film, yeah. then New York is a good city. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I had a, a period of time where I was doing a lot of, of business with New York companies. And I think that it was, I was younger, I was in development then, and, and I think it was kind of like the romance of independent companies. Um, and I was doing a little, you know, kind of like you go in and you go on your little tour and you meet everybody that you set coffee and lunch dates with. And I was sitting and talking to a producer there who's since become quite a big producer, but will remain nameless for the sake of this conversation. Um, And I was, you know, probably I was young and I was waxing poetic about the beauty of the independent spirit. And he said to me, listen, all of this is lovely and it sounds great. But at (laughs) the end of the day, be really, really clear. We're all trying to sell to LA. Right. And I went, oh, (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, that, that much for that. Um, so, you know, the, the reality is at the end of the day, this is where the business is. L.A. is where the business is. Right. The truth of the matter is that if you're in New York, yes, there are a few, a few rooms, and I'm talking about a handful or a couple of handfuls of television rooms in New York. The benefit that you get in New York is that you do ha- have a lot more events. So you have the, you know, you have Tribeca, you have the New York Television Festival, you have a lot of those kind of events, and it's also a travel destination for a lot of agents and managers and executives. Right. So, you know, Melissa, for example, met her agent in person in New York, gosh, three years ago when he f- 
flew into the East Coast around Christmas time, and they went and had coffee, and he said, you should really write a thriller. So she wrote a thriller, and they sold it three months later. Wow. Um, you're, rare, you're more rarely going to get that with Boston or with Chicago unless that individual is from there. Right. And I feel that in New York, you will have more of those face-to-face opportunities. I have another um, writer there who is represented by UTA. She talked to a her potential film agent on the phone, the film agent was coming out to New York a week later. They sat down, had coffee, loved each other, and have been working together ever since. You're going to have more of those opportunities in New York, but if you're in Boston or if you're in Philly um, or if you are in wherever, um, Madison, Wisconsin, I don't think they have to move to New York as a career move because ultimately still going, not going to be as advantageous as it is going to be for you to be in L.A. Right. Right. You had mentioned the trend of Hollywood focusing on tentpole films, the guaranteed IP kind of thing. Um, what are other trends that you notice happening in film and television today? Well, we're in an interesting moment, right? Because we are politically have seen a, a very aggressive change. Um, I think there is, on one end, we're seeing a lot of specs get snatched up that, snatched up that have to, a lot to do with social justice all of a sudden in a way that maybe wasn't true a year or two years ago. So we're seeing a lot more based on real life kind of stories, tug at the heartstrings, injustice, injustice. We're definitely seeing that on the spec spec front. We're also seeing a lot of female forward material, um, which is an interesting thing to see on the television front. We are seeing um, a desire and a hunger for more escapist driven material. Um, we are moving away from content about politics. Um, right now, the feeling is that our audience really just wants a little bit of a vacation. We're all getting heavy, heavy doses of politics, and, and I do think that writers are an incredibly sensitive class um, of people, and I, I can certainly back up that belief with the fact that weeks following the the election, different writers from different walks of life kept telling me, I'd, I'd love to talk to you today, I just can't get, get out of bed. Um, but I think that a lot of writers are either going to the escapist or going to the social justice, and I think audiences are going with them. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot to observe. We're always looking to see what comes of... Um, you know, the next summer, how will how will summer perform? I think Doctor Strange was a nice shot in the arm for Hollywood that became a little nervous about big tentpoles, about superhero movies. Um, you know, but then again, we have a movie like Moonlight winning the Academy Award. What what does that tell us in terms of the our content going going forward? How much of it is? mainstream how much of it is message we're also seeing moonlight get a bigger boost in the box office following the academy awards um than most movies of its size in previous years so you know i think our audience is evolving very very quickly um i think it's also becoming very very divided much as the rest of the country is in the sense that some are looking for pure escape and others are looking for social justice in movies um but time will tell so as a screenwriting career coach, I wanted to ask you what, you know, sort of to wrap this up, what is the best advice you can give to writers out there listening? And I know we asked this probably multiple times before, but to sort of emphasize, or maybe you've got a different answer uh, specifically, what is the best advice you can give to an aspiring screenwriter, TV writer out there uh, that you would give to your own clients that you would, you know, you would offer as a uh, a screenwriting career coach? Um, I think first of all is to ask yourself if you're ready to do this and ready to do this seriously and ready to do this for the long haul. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean moving to L.A. if you're not in L.A. um, or, you know, giving up your day job or selling your house or anything like that. But are you willing to put your muscle and your energy and your passion behind this for the long haul. So I think, you know, one of the first mistakes that I see writers make is come in and say, I'm giving it six months. You're not going to get anything done in six months, so let that go. Um, You know, are you willing to really truly commit yourself to this as an ongoing endeavor um, with all that that means? And that means with 
making regular time for a writing routine. That means watching, reading, learning on an ongoing basis, um, and really kind of going on this marathon rather than binging, whether it's in writing or whether it's in viewing, for a short period of time, then forgetting about it, then coming back to it in two years. That likely won't get your career, but you know the advice is really to decide whether you want this with all that it means. So really understanding what it means to break in the industry. What does it take? What does it require? What is you know kind of like the shortest span of time that we're seeing people breaking in for, in during? What is the longest span of time? And saying, am I willing to give myself to this? And why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I'm a born storyteller and I have a burning need to tell stories in this fashion and I will do everything in my power to tell stories in this fashion? Or am I doing it for the glory or the money? Because here's the thing, the glory will pass and the money after agents and managers, it's money, but it's not that much money. Um, you know, so you really have to make sure that you're doing it for the right reason and that you're excited by the thought of putting in the work ahead as opposed to dreading it. I was talking to somebody recently who said, you know, every time that you succeed, that you find success, um, the thing to come after it is the question, okay, what's next? And every day that you get further away from your last success, your window of opportunity closes. So the excitement and the interest about you closes. If the thing that you dread once you hit the moment of success is what's next, that's a problem. Because you should always be excited to create the next thing. You should always be excited to go towards the next project. You should always be excited about doing this, about writing, about investing in, in yourself and your career, telling your stories. And the moment that you grow weary of that, that's where we have to take a closer look and say, hold on, why are we doing this to start with? Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, be sure to check out Breaking In. It's available now. Where can, can people find it? Amazon? Amazon is stocking up right now, so it can be found on my website, which is leejessup.com. Also can be found on Rutledge Press, which is the parent company that owns my press, which is Focal Press. Um, it's coming to Amazon. It's available there to pre-order, um, and it's also coming to the writers, uh, uh, writer store, and Samuel French, and all of those outlets. But it literally excellent. just dropped a couple of days ago. Excellent, excellent. And be sure to follow Lee on Twitter at Lee Z Jessup. Um, and thanks for coming on, Lee. Of course, anytime. I always love chatting with you. Uh, and for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, uh, and of course our website, scriptsandscribes.com. And thank you all for listening.